This is the We the People, Our American Story podcast. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every week to hear the remarkable stories of veterans, combat survivors, first responders, and American patriots in their own words. If you are pro-freedom and pro-America, you are in the right place. We the People, Our American Story is the podcast for Americans who fiercely and unapologetically love America. Welcome to another episode of We the People, Our American Story. My guest today is Brick Simpson. I am excited to have him. We have tried, or I have tried, excuse me, to get Brick on before. It's taken several months because um, our times did not work out, our schedules, but he is here today and he has an exciting project that he is going to tell us all about. It is awesome and I cannot wait. So without further ado, welcome, Brick. Tina, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it big time. You are welcome. Let's start at the beginning. Can you share with us a little bit about your childhood growing up and what was it that uh, you went the military way? So I actually grew up, um, I was born in Utah and almost immediately moved to California. Um, When you talk about living in the ghetto, I definitely did that. It was an incredible experience as a young man looking back to uh, be in that environment because it gave me a, a different uh, cultural view and all that kind of stuff that has always carried with me and really served me well, especially working with lots of different people. But it was wild. I mean, I saw drugs and violence and gangs and all kinds of stuff every day uh, growing up there. And then from there, we moved to Utah, which we moved from a pretty large city just outside of Sacramento, California, called Citrus Heights to, uh, to Salina, Utah. It was a big culture shock for me to move there. And I I had to work through some things because number one, nobody knew what a skateboard was, which was common culture for us. Obviously they knew what it was. They just, nobody had one but me. And so it was just interesting. There's lots of other stuff too, you know, culturally it was very uh, just strange how non-diverse it was to me as a young man. And I noticed that, but um, grew up in Utah and uh, from there moved to Richfield. That's where I kind of say I'm from is Richfield, Utah. Um, some of the first jobs I had were, were working on dairy farms. I learned to dock sheep and bale hay and milk cows and all kinds of cool stuff that I just, I wouldn't have had that opportunity if I didn't live in a rural place in Utah. It really taught me a lot of hard work, um, which was a beautiful thing. And it gave me some good work ethic, but I noticed in our area that the only people that drove a nice truck were business owners and farmers. You know, that was some motivation. And I thought I need to go to college. I had no, no way to pay for school uh, back then. So the opportunity was, hey, I'm going to look at joining the military. And in, in Richfield, it's kind of a rite of passage for young men and women to, to look at the Army National Guard. And it's a field artillery unit there. And so I did. I gave it a shot and it looked pretty good for me. I joined and about a year into being a, a soldier, I realized I loved it so much. So I'm in my 24th year currently. I'm an active duty Army National Guard guy. Uh, that is my career. I only have about eight months left if I want to retire with my active 20, which is awesome. I just turned 40 a few months ago. So kind of a cool opportunity to be in that position, but that's where I grew up. Were you ever deployed? I, I have been deployed. Yep. I actually did a stateside mode with um, the Olympics. That was one of my first ones. So I was uh, security forces for the Olympics here in Utah, which was an incredible experience as a young man. 
Um, I think I was 19 years old at the time, 18 or 19 when that happened. And then from there, we had another stateside mobilization to Fort Lewis, Washington, and to Fort Carson, Colorado. I think it lasted about nine or 10 months total. We were supposed to go to Iraq, but then we ended up getting stood down and took a rotation training other soldiers to go. And so it was a really cool opportunity. But then my actual mobilization overseas was 2005 to 2006 uh, to Ramadi. And we spent a total of 18 months deployed. That was probably one of the, the most incredible opportunities to deploy as a soldier, in my opinion. Looking back at it, especially, I mean, I learned so much about me and what I was capable of. And my family actually grew stronger. We had some ground rules that we set up before we even left between my wife and I, because we've been together since we were 17 years old. I had a three-year-old son when I left uh, to Ramadi. And then when I got back, he was five. So it was quite the experience to do all of that. What was your role there in Iraq? Yeah, I was a brand new E5. Well, I can't say brand new. I had been an E5, so a sergeant for about a year and a half or so before we deployed. And so I was a brand new NCO, in my opinion. Our first rotation of our mission, when you first get into country, you do what's called a relief in place or a RIP. That's what a lot of people call it. And you're exploring your area, kind of just getting used to the climate and understanding what your job is actually going to be, your left and right limits of what you can and can't do. But we got an opportunity to pull security for within our first week that we were there for a, a spot called Shark Base um, that was inside of Fabra Mahdi. And lo and behold, which we didn't know at the time, but that was people like Jocko Willink and Chris Kyle that we were pulling security for there. It looked like a little Taj Mahal building almost, but it was one of the coolest buildings on Fabramati and it was their place of, of operation. And we pulled perimeter security for those guys for about two weeks before we actually went into our job. So it was pretty cool. I had no idea who they were at the time. I only knew Chris Kyle as an amazing sniper that uh, did the devil of Ramadi, but I definitely was around them, which was kind of neat. And Jocko actually talks about the triple deuce in his book and on his podcast, which was, it's kind of neat to be deployed in that time frame. I understand that those guys get a little bit of a nicer facilities. I guess maybe they did. I've even read in some of the Navy sales books that they do indeed. Yeah. <laughs> they have like their video games. So what I'll tell you is that uh, their facility, I, I, it was nice for sure, but they also have a lot tougher job, um, but they were good to us. Every time we came over, they would show us different kind of weapons that they picked up because they they take them back and they destroy them and they'd give us Red Bulls and whatever they had. They, they just welcomed us right in and treated us really good. So I had no issue with it. It was actually kind of like a, a nice to do gig before we rolled into our mission. What has the military taught you? Oh my gosh, that's a, that's a big question. Some of the things that the military has taught me, I think number one that has served me is probably time management. Um, it really has taught me to manage my time, to be organized and to make a plan and how to carry out a plan. The military has taught me a lot of stuff about that. Uh, another thing, especially as a young man, it taught me to be, how to be confident in myself and my ability. Um, not, not saying that I, I have anything that anybody else doesn't, but just that I could be confident in myself. Working hard will get you somewhere. And so I am thankful, so thankful for my opportunity to serve in the military and the service that I've had because of those things, because I've carried it throughout my life and other things and business ventures in a nonprofit and lots of other ways in my own family. My oldest son actually serves uh, in the Army National Guard now as well. So it's kind of neat. 
Did you feel lost at all when you came back from deployment? Did it take you a while to get back into the groove of everyday life where I understand when you're on deployment in areas like that, you feel like you have a real mission. Yes. And then you come back, you come back home and you're paying the bills and you're driving to work every day. Does that take a while to adjust? It does. And I want to just give a huge shout out before I answer that, if that's okay, to all the military spouses out there. To watch my wife be a mother, a caretaker of our home and everything that was going on, pay all the bills and just totally step up. I feel like in a lot of ways, our military spouses, when uh, the service members deployed, the spouses have a lot tougher job because they've got to cover down on all the responsibilities that you had prior and they still got to make everything function. So my hat's off to anybody who loves and resides with a service member. Thank you for what you do, because without you, we could never do our job correctly. And that was some of our rules too. And we'll, we can get into those, but um, being deployed in that way, you get into a mindset where like what you say goes, you're kind of the, the boss, right? If you tell somebody to pull over on the side of the road and get out of your way, they got to do it or there's consequences. And so you kind of get used to that mindset. And then another mindset you're in while you're there, at least I was, I can only speak for myself, was you're in imminent danger a lot of time. And so you really just come to the conclusion that it could be your time at any time. And it's a sobering thought, but it also allows you to do your job and to operate at the very best capacity you can for the person to your left and right. And so when you come home and all those things are gone and there's no mission, it can be a, a huge shell shock and really make you feel like you're lost. And, and some of the things that I felt personally was a lot of, I wouldn't say that I ever had any real PTSD, but I would say that uh, I felt very impatient um, to go into Walmart or somewhere and to shop and to sit in a line. It just, it drove me nuts. I couldn't really relate to people taking their time on things. I thought and there so, was a lot of hurry up and wait in the military. It feels like there is, especially when you're, you're stateside, because you've got to wait to do an operation, make sure things are safe, whatever it might be. But when you're out there and on deployment, I mean, you're constantly on mission and your downtime is minimal. And so you just get in that mindset of, I'm going to go, go, go. And then you come home and it just, everything slows way down. Like you're moving through the mud? Yeah, kind of like that. That's a really good way to put it. You know, you're, you're trying to go through quicksand. Did you lose anyone that you knew on deployment or were you close to any action at any time where you were a little fearful, nervous? Yeah, several times. I mean, we had a couple different missions where we had an artillery mission. We had a uh, OP, like observation post. We, we would clear some of the main MSRs, so main supply routes, Michigan and Mobile. Um, and then we'd set up OPs, some observation posts to help mitigate IEDs being placed in those areas because that's where most of the convoys and supplies and stuff like that had to move between bases or fobs. We hit, I think it was 14 IEDs. A good friend of mine in a vehicle, this actually ended up pushing him out of the military, which is terrible because the guy is the so a soldier soldier just through, through and through. His name is Darren Ivey. Do you mind if I say names? Oh, no, please do. Darren Ivey is a close friend. I was very fortunate to deploy with people that I grew up with. I played football with, like just my best friends. And so Darren was one of those guys and he got picked up in Humvee from an IED slammed down. And we were about 60 pounds of gear while we're out there um, moving and it broke his back, herniated discs and, 
and he didn't really know it. He knew he was injured, but he didn't know to the extent, but he ended up having to be medically retired a few years after we got back because of it. And uh, we, we had several injuries, but nobody super close to me was actually ever killed in action. And I feel very fortunate for that because there's too many times where things happened where we were in combat situations where people were injured, but they weren't killed. My brigade combat team total lost 76 while we were there. Uh, so there was definitely a lot of that going on. But for some reason, we were just very blessed. The, the Triple Deuce was blessed to not have any casualties. We had people who lost eyesight and limbs, but no deaths, which was we were very thankful for. Were you actively involved in any of these IED situations? Yeah, I mean, it's such a weird situation because at the time, there was lots of different tactics that the enemy was doing. I mean, they would use uh, washing machine timers or command debt from far away where you might hit an IED or a pressure plate. Um, they actually, you know, the, the infrared when you walk into like a convenience store and it goes ding, they were using some of those uh, in certain situations as well. So they could set those things up and, and leave and you would never find the enemy. So for the most part, it was that for us. We would hit IEDs, there wasn't any enemy present. So it wasn't like we were returning fire on people. Again, kind of a fortunate situation, but at the same time, I mean, it's an IED, you never know. How did you pivot to forge forward? That's a great question. So for me, the global war on terror has been so long. I mean, we spent 20 years deploying men and women overseas to, to fight. And, and it's a noble cause, in my opinion, and things were good. I have to stay politically away from some of the things that I would love to say because I still wear the uniform. Um, but there's more we could have done, obviously. And sometimes when you walk away from a campaign like that and you don't feel like the mission was completed, then why were we willing to lose so many good people? That kind of transitioned into well, how do I help? How do I find a way to help service members in that are leaving the military, still in the military? Our mission actually extends to law enforcement and first responders as well, because I feel like they experience a lot of the same things that a soldier does, but they do it on, on a daily basis. I wanted to find a way to, to help my brothers and sisters after I left the military. And so the idea was to create something, um, a nonprofit that would do something different. Um, I came up with a name for the Forge Forward project from a story that I referred to in our podcast launch. I was in basic training, really cool opportunity to see uh, kind of how we became soldiers. Uh, our company commander, long story short, he was working with metal and he was just, you know, hitting it, sparks coming off. It was our culmination exercise of coming back from a long ruck march and we were getting ready to graduate. That was our last thing we had to complete. And he just basically said, this is what you were when you showed up and this is what we did to you and he kind of banged on the metal and then threw it into a bucket and then he pulled out a sword and he said this is what you become and that just really resonated with me as a young man and so the idea of forge forward is we believe that adversity doesn't define you it will refine you if you let it meaning that everyone's going to face adversity in their life it doesn't matter if it's a small or it's large or you know, super hard to get through, but you have a choice to make. You can either die out in the flames of the forge and let that consume you, or you can choose to become something more capable and more effective because of your experience. And that's our encouragement is saying, hey, do that. You're capable and, and we're here to support you. So that's where the Forge Forward project name kind of comes from. But transitioning to that was a no-brainer for me. And I started it in 2018, actually, 
but it took me some time to surround myself with people that I needed to make the team I wanted and had to have to make the Forge Forward project a success. Well, I have spoken to more than a few veterans and one of the things that is mentioned repeatedly is that that time in the military or that time in deployment, a lot of veterans, they base their whole identity off of that time Absolutely. where those four years or whatever, those two years over there is their identity that they try to carry for their entire life that I'm a soldier even though that was only a short period, a short time in your life. And I think that kind of messes up their psyche, doesn't it? 100%. I'm so glad you actually brought that up because my encouragement, I, I help people join the military currently. That's, that's my job. I'm a recruiter. And I love that job. I've loved it for as long as I've done it. And you can ask any career recruiter, you don't stay being a recruiter unless you really enjoy what you do. And I believe in what we do. But I tell these young men and women that this is a part of you. It isn't all of who you are. And especially like I get a lot of military members who will come and talk to me when they're getting ready to transition out because I've had entrepreneur different endeavors and stuff like that. And they ask advice. My number one advice that I say is you need to learn to get used to being brick or get used to being Mike again, because nobody knows who Sergeant Simpson is outside of the military. It's hard to say, but we have to come to that conclusion as veterans is that this was a part of our life. And for the most part, even 20 years as a career, it's a small portion of your life, you know, a third of it, maybe you have a lot of life to live after that. And you've got to remember that you've got to get used to being you again. And so that is my biggest advice to people transitioning out is find a way to get comfortable in your own skin not about the uniform. The, the service you had is amazing. We're thankful. And you have gotten some skill sets that set you apart from the rest of the people. But now it's time to be Brick or Mike or Jane or whatever it might be. What services does Forge Forward Project offer? First and foremost, I just want to talk about our main mission. Our main mission is pretty exciting. So one of the hardest parts for other nonprofits to do and by no means do I say that they're failing because there's a lot of incredible nonprofits out there doing incredible things and I'm thankful for them. But it, the hard part is the long-term aftercare. It's super expensive, just not a way to raise enough money to do that kind of a thing. But we are actually taking some proprietary therapies thanks to um, one of our board members. His name is Brendan Borrowman. He's the chief research officer for the Forge Forward Project. We are putting them in a virtual reality environment and we are actually gamifying these therapies. So it doesn't feel like you are doing therapy. It feels like you're playing a video game and it can enhance anybody's nonprofit. So after they've been through your program, whatever program it might be, they can get a headset from the Forge Forward Project and be able to access these therapies for free. And so this is a long-term thing where they can actually do these therapies every single day or a couple times a week. But not just that, we, we have our own homerooms inside of the, this, uh, we call it VRX, like a VR prescription. Um, and we're partnered, I, I can't miss this either because we partner with an incredible company called 2B3D. That's the development company who's actually creating these environments and doing all the development side of, of what we're trying to create. But we have homerooms. So say, Tina, you and I deployed together and you're on the West Coast, I'm on the East Coast, and we haven't seen each other in years. We could jump into this headset, we could shoot pool together, we could watch a movie, we could play video games, whatever, and we could connect peer-to-peer. -peer. And so now we're connecting those tribes back to each other, peer-to-peer -peer counseling, 
you know what I've been through. I know what you've been through. We can talk through those things and you have that opportunity to connect back to real people. Now, some people might say, well, yeah, but it's not real. It's VR. I understand that, but it's expensive to connect with your people when they're scattered all over the, the US or all, all over the world, number one. But number two, the Office of Naval Research did, a, I think it was a 15-year study just on virtual reality itself. And they found that just by being in a virtual reality environment, your stress responses to your brain or responses to your brain are mitigated by 56 to 90% in every single person. And so we're capitalizing on that physiological response to the body and we're doing it in a positive way. And the stuff that we are doing is medically, I mean, this is exciting and, and maybe it's kind of an announcement, I guess, but uh, it's medically proven. We're the only organization that has biomarkers that can show that we can help restore parts of our blood flow to parts of the brain that are affected by post-traumatic stress. So it's exciting and groundbreaking and something completely new. We're not just throwing a bandaid at this. We're trying to find a real um, answer for post-traumatic stress symptoms and issues. That is so cool, Breck. I appreciate it. How do people get referred to you? How do they access your services? Completely um, transparent. We're still probably a year out from being fully functional. Maybe even longer than that, depending on what happens. I mean. Everything in this world, especially with technology and development and stuff like that, it's very expensive. We bootstrapped the, the project ourselves, put our own money into this, and we've got other organizations who've actually invested in us at this point. We're starting to get to that point as well. Callard Foundation, thank you so much. Um, we actually, uh, it's not a secret now, but Meta has actually, is very interested in what we're doing because- really. Yeah, they, they came and did a, a story on us. It's called their Community Voices platform. And so we're on that right now and it's airing. They're actually running ad, paid ads right now on the Forge Forward project um, as we speak. So we, we've got some good support, but we still need more because development of this and this uh, level is very expensive. I mean, it's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to have a finished project or product. But the beauty of that is that these therapies that we've put into um, these virtual reality environments and gamified them. I mean, it's $30,000 for one individual to do those things in-house, like physically, right? But now we can take those and the only cost is a $400 headset, which we're working on, on bringing that price down too. So once we're fully developed and this VRX is created, the cost is $400. We can raise that money. We've actually made the, uh, the MetaQuest the Oculus Quest, we've actually been able to code that as a medical, a durable medical device. So uh, TRICARE and stuff like that will actually be able to pay for them as well. So we've got different ways that our service members and law enforcement and, and first responders can get these headsets. Either we raise the money, they've already got it and we put it on the software, or they can get it through um, insurance. But that's the only cost at that point to get into something so amazing. And so we're, we're excited. I mean, it's very low cost barrier. Uh, once we're fully developed and out there. And then on top of that, there's one more thing we haven't even talked about. So this is really cool. Do you, um, have you ever heard of Senator Daniel Thatcher here in Utah? I haven't. Senator Daniel, Daniel Thatcher needs a lot of credit for suicide prevention and, and leading the fight on that here in Utah. He was the one who, who really helped develop and push um, Safe UT, or is it UT Safe? I can't remember how, which way it's said. Have you heard of that app? Mm-hmm incredible app doing incredible things, but he's actually pushed that even farther. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe you don't, but right now uh, there's now a crisis management uh, suicide line. That's just like 911, but it's 988. 
that is Daniel Thatcher's uh, baby. And so we're actually going to incorporate that too. So if you're, if you are a veteran in crisis, you can throw on your headset and you can hit a button or however we're going to design that, but you can be transformed from your physical environment into say a beach and you can hear the waves, you start to relax, but you'll be able to, to connect directly with a crisis management counselor and talk through whatever's going on at the drop of a hat and you don't have to wait. This program, VRX, encompasses everything, and we are very excited to, to make this mission happen. That's spectacular because not everybody lives a half hour away from Forge Forward where they can come in and yep. take advantage of those. Yes, absolutely. Anyone from the East Coast to the West Coast eventually can have access to these services. Absolutely. So that's what we found, like especially COVID kind of taught us that, right? This global pandemic showed that we kind of introverted and we didn't have access to certain things. There were veterans waiting months to see a therapist and we can't have that. Um, that's not the way that we're going to heal our veterans. And that's our bottom line mission um, is to bring peace and healing to our veterans through these virtual reality environments. And so these bring them right into the comfort of your own home. You don't even have to leave. Sometimes it's even hard to just break away from the family because you've got responsibilities there too. And so now you can stay in your own home and you can visit with friends. You can play video games that are actually helping your brain. Um, and if you need that crisis management, you, you've got it at your fingertips. So, and, and one of the hardest things to do when somebody is in crisis is to get them out of their physical environment. Virtual reality is the answer. It does. And it can do it just like that. So will there be a therapist or how is that going to work if someone's in crisis and they're on one of these virtual reality headsets? How is that going to work? Yeah, they'll connect with a 988 crisis management counselor. So here in Utah, this is that's, that program is, is launched nationwide at this point. Utah is one of the best that's ready for it. They've got uh, call centers and people ready for those things. It's still uh, being beefed up across the country. But that's the goal is that you can actually connect with someone and talk now. And if you need more help, they can dispatch more help. And Brick, as I was talking to you before we started, and I was telling you about um, a veteran that I'm aware of that just took his own life. Yeah. What do we need to do to help our veterans transition outside of the military? There needs to be so much. I, I, I want to kind of turn this back onto the veteran a little bit too. Veterans, I think, need to take more responsibility of telling their story. Um, we feel isolated, right? But, but that's a lot of self-isolation and not being willing to try to connect with someone. Even though you feel like you're, you're disconnected or maybe you, you don't relate to your neighbor, I encourage you to tell your story and to let people know where you're at and what you're doing. Senator Thatcher actually said this on my podcast that you know somebody who in your neighborhood gets a cancer diagnosis, it's terribly sad. The neighborhood rallies around, they bring meals, they, they help out. But if somebody gets a, a mental health diagnosis, people tend to talk behind their back. And, and that's another part of, of what we need to do as a society is start to break down these stigmas of mental health, and especially people who reach out to get help because that's a strong person. That's somebody who recognizes there's something wrong. It's a diagnosis. You're not crazy. You're not abnormal from anyone else. You just, you have an issue that has been diagnosed with you and you're taking care of it. So the more that we can break down those barriers of encouraging veterans to tell their stories and us as regular civilians saying, hey, uh, we want to hear your story and we'll rally around you too. I think the more we can do that, the more people will be comfortable coming and saying, hey, I need help.
tell me about your podcast. <laughs> the Forge Forward podcast is, it was designed in, in the beginning to be a medium that we could tell stories to encourage people, kind of just like you do, to encourage people to talk about those, those hard issues because the Forge Forward Project podcast gets pretty raw and emotional sometimes. Um, we have people talking about their moment of when they were, were considering suicide. And I love that. They're willing to come on. And these are people that are incredible people. They've done incredible things. They're very successful in their lives. Um, they're veterans. They're entrepreneurs. They're social media. I don't know what to call them people, but they come on and they be very vulnerable and talk about situations that I think a lot of people can relate to. And so that was the goal. We want to leave them with, Hey, you are normal. And maybe you can relate to this story and you can see what Ryan stream did to overcome his situation and what helped him. And maybe you can implement that in your own life. And then we like to, to leave our listeners with a forge forward moment of that person, how they, what adversity they went through, how they kind of got through it. So they kind of get some tools in there as well. Right. And, and that is the podcast. And, and I love it. I simply love the podcast medium. Can you share a story from one of your podcast episodes? Absolutely. Um, I'm going to share with you Adam Hightower, who is a local guy to Utah. He's, he's an incredible human, just so kind-hearted, um, willing to help anyone. But he's, he's an actor. He is a, a founder of a, a company called Legends Media, where he does all kinds of marketing and videography and all those kinds of things. He works with very high-level entrepreneurs and creating their brand message. Very cool guy. But he told a story. We, we actually connected because... I was able to go to one of the premieres of his movies called Fighting Chance, which is really cool. Um, it's a local movie, but um, you, I think you can stream it on Amazon. So go watch it. But he was telling a story about how he really faced issues. Somebody asked him, like, how did you relate to that, that moment in your movie when you were considering um, ending your life? And he said, well, uh, I'm just going to be honest. I've been in that situation before, and that's what I drew from. And so I immediately wanted to connect with him because somebody on that platform to be able to tell that story, that's powerful. And so his story was that he was struggling with depression and anxiety, even though he seemed to be on top of the world with his business and relationships and things were good. He was struggling inner, in, inside with depression and anxiety. And he actually, he got to the point where he grabbed a firearm and he sat down on his bed and uh, he was moments away from doing something to hurt himself. And then his mother popped into his brain and he started thinking about what it would do to her to find out that, you know, he had done something like this and that's what stopped him. And then I have faith. I believe in God. And so does he. So we connect on that on the podcast, but a phone call came in and it was a good friend and really talked to him through that moment. But it's a powerful moment and I don't do it any justice by, by telling it, but those things, I think when you can relate to someone struggling, uh, hearing their story will really help to kind of bring you through it, you know? Each story then is about a person who's experienced the lowest of lows and how they have forged forward and overcame those obstacles. Absolutely. Yep. And letting the listener know that everybody has their crap <laughs> because yep. we all have our crap. Yep. But whatever it is, you can get through it. I wanted to create ways where people could connect, right? So through social media, we actually have a gaming side of the project that um, we're doing as well. where We connect with other veterans and play video games and that kind of thing. We're trying to create those communities 
where you can go and relate to people that are going through the same thing and talk about your issues. And I find that to be incredibly healing for myself. You know, my wife is my sounding board and I have some really good people around me in the Force Forward Project. We all take care of each other that way. And that's what tribes do. They take care of their people. And so we got to get back to connecting people to their tribe. What can the communities do to better assist and help our veterans? You know, I think communities being open to talking to, to veterans and reaching out that way is incredible. If you know of a veteran cause, I mean, there's so much that you can do by following a veteran cause on social media, by, you know, buying a t-shirt um, and supporting their cause that way. I mean, we have a brand too um, that we have merchandise, we have hats, we have t-shirts, all kinds of cool stuff. We have a, a men's skincare line, body wash. It's really cool. I mean, I developed those products to help fund our nonprofit because I didn't want to be just somebody who asked for money. I wanted to be an organization that we said, look, we can, we can help fund ourselves. And it's actually been incredible because hundred percent of those products, the sales of those products has helped us to have a location like this. Like we have a, we have a location uh, headquarters in American Fork, Utah. Those, those products pay for that. hundred percent of what, what people buy goes to helping the nonprofit, helping us move forward on our mission totally off topic, but how does a person go about developing a skincare line? How does that work? Do you have a background in that? Or do you just think, I think I'm going to come up with a skincare line? I kind of did that. My first entrepreneurial endeavor was I invented popcorn lids for movie theater buckets. And no, I looked, really? I did, do I yeah. have you to thank for the top of my, uh, my popcorn bucket at the Megaplex? That's us. So, really? Yep. And we started with um, just a clear plastic one that snaps on. So it's, but um, so Colonel King was a idea that formed between me and my wife and we just moved it forward and we, we did great with it for years. Uh, it started in 2012. I, I learned shipping. I learned overseas shipping. I learned manufacturing and I just, I kind of went, I made a lot of mistakes um, and, and learned from that. But I, so I kind of got like, you know, I feel like I can, I can figure it out along the way, but I ended up connecting with an incredible organization or company here in Utah called Dynamic Blending. And so they, they make products. And so they have the expertise. And that actually led to uh, our chief operations officer here at the Forbes Ford Project. His name is Josh Luhan, incredible businessman. Uh, he knows the manufacturing world. He brings a lot to the table for us as a project, but um, that's where I met him. And he helped me fully develop those products. And it was all with the idea that it would help us fund our nonprofit. I have an incredible product that's, a, as far as I know, the world's first ever beard oil, shave oil, and aftershave all in one product. And it's, it's amazing. So it's fun. And I love the challenge of things like that, trying to figure out how to do something. And, and the project is like that on a daily basis for us. So I love it. That's a whole other side to you that we could do a whole other episode. Well, I had no clue. Good. And when you gave me your email to the Colonel King, I thought, huh. I'm sure there's a story behind this. Yep, and there yep. you go. I found out. Entrepreneurship, I think, is a great thing to teach veterans. 100%. I believe that, that veterans are very uniquely qualified to be uh, entrepreneurs in, in America today. Um, when you serve as a, a service member for any amount of time, you get more leadership training and skill set training like that than anybody else on the face of the planet. There is room for a lot of veterans to step out there and teach leadership skill sets to Fortune 500 companies. 
Um, they've been there, done that. And in military, you don't deal in capital, you deal in lives. So it's super important, right? And it's tried and tested through combat and years of experience. And so I believe that veterans should be out there looking to start their own business or to go teach leadership skill sets to lots of, of different companies. Um, I think they're unique. But I also believe that veterans aren't what society thinks sometimes. We're not a broken thing. There are some out there and we got to help them too. But for the most part, our veterans are very capable people who should be doing incredible things in society today. Well, that sounds absolutely fabulous. And you have your hands full right now with what you're doing. But maybe in the future, you can start some courses on entrepreneurship because you definitely have the credentials for that. That is amazing. I love going to the movies and I love my popcorn. Yeah. And when you have a family of five, that bucket won't reach all the way down. I got tired of sharing with my kids. And also I was the, one of the biggest reasons for me was like, I hated where you eat the top layer of, of popcorn and it's, it's saturated in butter and the rest doesn't taste like anything because you just ate 2000 calories of butter. And so now you can shake it up and you can take it home easier. You can share. So it's, it's, it was a fun product. You did what they tell you to do. You solve a problem. Yep. <laughs> There you go. I yeah. have to think of a problem to solve, Rick. You know, I, I would encourage if you do put on your seatbelt because there's going to be a lot of bumpy, bumpy days. And, and people explain entrepreneurship as, you know, one day you're here and it's I'm incredible. And the next day you're super low and this is never going to work. If you can handle that, then entrepreneurship is for you. I'm no expert in anything. I just I just worked through it and learned as I went. That is absolutely incredible. How funny is that? My goodness. Is there anything else that you would like to talk about that we haven't? You know, hitting more on that topic, I really feel like veteran causes need to start becoming mainstream because we have a lot of awareness out there, right? And awareness is incredible. Uh, 22 pushups a day on social media. That's great. But at some point, those things have to turn into action. And there's ways to do it. You know, like I said, simply supporting uh, somebody's page or, you know, buying one of their products. And I'm not just talking about the Forge Ford project. You know, there's incredible organizations out there that are helping veterans go support that way. I, I love the idea of apparel because I love apparel, number one, and the creation and design and all that aspect of it. But I also love the ability to wear someone's mission on your body, heal our veterans, you know, whatever the, the statement is. And, you know, people like Ray Griffin are incredible at doing that. He's supported us. He supports Follow the Flag. You know, shout out Kyle Fox and the fam. They're incredible people. Um, and we've been able to connect with, with some of the most incredible people in Utah. Um, I got to do another shout out to uh, United We March. Justin Miller is, is an absolutely stellar human. He's on the podcast as well. That's amazing. I love Justin. He's one of those people that has no idea how much he has done for people. I, I agree. And if I could nominate anybody in this state uh, for some kind of an award, it would be that man. I just, I love him so much and I'm thankful for him and his mission because he does a ton for his community, but also the veteran community, law enforcement, and, and he doesn't have to. He, he's just an incredible guy. If you, if anyone listens to this, go check him out. United We March. They're on all social media. Uh, just great people. Ditto. Where can we find you on social media and support your cause? Yeah. So my, my personal social media that um, I kind of face toward the project is called Rick Forge Founder. Um, and then our social media is Forge Forward Project. So you can find us on any social media at Forge Forward Project. Our website is forgeforwardproject.org. 
Um, we actually are getting ready to launch our apparel initiative. So that can help us to really fund what we're doing. And we're launching a fully custom line of product to the fabric, the cut of it, everything and how it feels. Um, that's going to be coming out soon. So I encourage people to check it out. That's actually housed under Forge Forward USA. And Brick, what does America mean to you? Uh, America to me, when I, when I first think of when you say that, I just feel joy. A lot of crazy stuff in America today, right? Politically, whatever. But I don't think that's America by any means. I think that for the, by and large, Americans are, are incredible people who love each other. Um, they take care of each other. We take care of our neighbors. Um, doesn't matter who you affiliate with or, or what your race, creed, color, religion, none of it. I, I don't care. Um, we love you. And I feel, I feel like that's the true America, but America to me is, is just this beautiful opportunity to live in a place that is free because people have sacrificed for us to do that. I can worship my God, the way that I want to, I can go and, and win and fail in business and have an opportunity to do that just like anybody else in America because of that. And, and that is America to me. It, it's the land of opportunity still today. Thank you for sharing your American story with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's awesome. And, and yeah, it took us a long time to connect, but I always really wanted to do this because I've listened to your podcasts and they're great. Yeah, you tell some incredible stories and what you're doing is just, it's wonderful. You've had some incredible guests. My story is nothing compared to the people you've had on there. And, and I'm just thankful to even be a part of what you're doing. So thank you so much. Oh, please. Thank you, Brett. Thank you for listening to this episode of Another Fellow Patriot. Be sure to check the show notes for links to this week's guest. For more connection to the podcast, visit www.wethepeopleouramericanstory.com for social media links, patriotic merchandise, and to sign up for the We the People newsletter. And finally, be a voice, a strong voice, a voice for freedom. As Benjamin Franklin so eloquently stated, where liberty dwells, there is my country.